at kpfa.org. Please stay tuned. Coming right up, it's Jennifer Stone with Cover to Cover. Ending nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today's Tuesday. It's May. We had May Day. Pretty little May. Not so pretty this week. <laughs> Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy flight. Oh, British Petroleum. BP, British Petroleum, I curse you by wind and fire, by sea and stone. Okay, full fathom five. Down we go to take a look at that sea bottom. Is there anything? Is there anything worse? Well, the Mississippi Delta, what the hell, Mark Twain is just uh, hovering there. I see Mark Twain's ghost. <laughs> yes, drill, baby, drill. Miles under the sea. Oh, what man hath wrought. It was only a matter of time, but I listened to Arnold Schwarzenegger. I thought we must have, uh, we must be upbeat. Arnold got the picture this, this, uh, week. I heard him on the radio. Ah, uh, there will be no offshore drilling off California, he says. No, uh, first he said yes a while back, but now he's got the picture, you know. I thought the 1969 Santa Barbara spill had educated our politicians, but it seems that we need a lesson every decade, every year. Some kind of upfront illustration constantly. Uh, Arnold, yes, <laughs> he saw the dying birds, the oil all over the birds, and fishermen, he said, were out of work. Yep, <laughs> seeing is believing. I turned on the TV late in the middle of the night. I couldn't sleep. I watched Arnold in an early film titled Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> Arnold, as Conan, is crucified on the tree of woe. Very arty shot. Terrific tree. Buzzards are eating Arnold as he... Uh, what is it, expires on the tree of woe, and he suddenly lifts his head enough, and he bites into one of the buzzards and kills it. Eats it, not quite eats it, but he does a pretty good job. 
Oh, I love Arnie. I loved it when he socked the camel. Uh, knocked the camel out, actually. He stole that bit from Blazing Saddles. What would we do without the boys to cheer us up? Mel Brooks lives. I remember years and years ago, my mother laughing and laughing at the boys down in La Jolla, Johnny Weissmuller and Boy. They were out there on their surfboards. And suddenly, uh, there was an amphibious, la- an amphibian, you know, they call those little, little, um, little boats that, uh, drew up to the shore, you know, and then the, uh, the door drops down and the guys come out and, and attack the shore. So they had this, this, uh, World War II, uh, show down on the beach at the Cove in La Jolla, 1940s. My mother was furious because they blew up the fish. There was a bomb in the water out there, and there were dead fish all over. And my mother said, you wait and see what these guys will will do next time. Uh, oh, so beautiful there, out by the reef. All the wonderful critters, and uh, I used to bring home starfish, and actually... There's not much left of it the last time I was there in 74. There was what I call, uh, well, what some people call a miasma, miasma. That's a mother's curse. It's a pall that hangs over things. It is punishment for crimes against the planet. The death crone cometh. <laughs> Wonderful subject for poetry. I, I have reams of it. Yes, all about the death crone coming to punish us for behaving like human beings. Sad, sad. I have a, a book of poems here by Edna St. Vincent Millay called Epigraph, Epitaph, Epitaph for the Race of Man. Not quite up to it today. Uh, I'll save it. Maybe I'll use it during our marathon. Next Monday we have a marathon coming. Uh, uh, ha, 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 ha. I think what I'll do today to cheer myself up. <laughs> yes, I will read you some Samuel Beckett. That's what I call a real upper. <laughs> I made a list last night of all the terrible things and I came up, I had a, a list of good things, beginning with Finland school children and how beautifully they're doing. Mostly, they go barefoot. They take their shoes off when they get to school. Now, there, there you go. That's the secret. Uh, the children in Finland, they know, uh, they know how to do things there. And then I came up with, oh, Afghanistan's dancing boys. Now that, uh, now that the Taliban is gone, they have this new uh, group of, uh, I guess they're prostitutes, but they do a lot of dancing, too. Uh, I, I'm haunted by one of the boys, very beautiful young man. Uh, the older men sit and watch them dance. What was the other thing? Oh, over on Haiti... I've seen this little bit of film on television, oh, three or four times now. The um, 
the media people seem to enjoy the metaphor. It's all about mud cookies. I thought of The Good Earth. You remember the movie The Good Earth, the book by Pearl S. Buck, the one in which the Chinese mother, Olin, cooks earth in a stew pot. In Haiti, they use mostly mud, a little lard and a couple of things, and they make these cookies and dry them in the sun, and then they sell them. The children uh, seem willing to eat them. Let's see, I think I will today, since the weather's so absolutely, perfectly beautiful, so breathtakingly beautiful, I think I'll go dust the graves. <laughs> Samuel Beckett. God bless Samuel Beckett. Mm-hmm. I sent some of Samuel Beckett's stuff to Jack Kevorkian because I love the movie that's just come on to television. It's called You Don't Know Jack. Check it out. Jack Kevorkian, he had a couple of minutes on um, the Bill Maher show. He's 82 now. He's been in prison for nine years. Anyway, Al Pacino does a sublime job. I'm digging into my book here, Samuel Beckett's Malloy. The author helped translate this, but the other name on the translation from the French is Patrick Bowles, B-O-W-L-E-S. It's not Paul Bowles, Patrick Bowles. This is something that goes all the way back to 1955, Grove Press, New York, Samuel Beckett's Malloy, half a century ago. This is the beginning of the novel Malloy, some of the bits. Samuel Beckett writes... I am in my mother's room. It's I who live there now. I don't know how I got there, perhaps in an ambulance. Certainly a vehicle of some kind. I was helped. I'd never have got there alone. There's this man who comes every week. Perhaps I got there thanks to him. He says not. He gives me money and takes away the pages. So many pages, so much money. Yes, I work now, a little like I used to, except that I don't know how to work anymore. That doesn't matter, apparently. What I'd like now is to speak of the things that are left. Say my goodbyes, finish dying. They don't want that. Yes. There is more than one, apparently, but it's always the same one that comes. You'll do that later, he says. Good. The truth is, I haven't much will left. When he comes for the fresh pages, he brings back the previous weeks. They are marked with signs I don't understand. Anyway, I don't read them. When I've done nothing, he gives me nothing. He scolds me. Yet I don't work for money. 
For what then? I don't know. The truth is, I don't know much. For example, my mother's death. Was she already dead when I came, or did she only die later? I mean, enough to bury. I don't know. Perhaps they haven't buried her yet. In any case, I have her room. I sleep in her bed. I have taken her place. I must resemble her more and more. All I need now is a son. Perhaps I have one somewhere, but I think not. He would be old now, nearly as old as myself. <sighs> It was a little chambermaid. It wasn't true love. The true love was in another. We'll come to that. Her, her name. I've forgotten it again. It seems to me sometimes that I even knew my son, that I helped him. Then I tell myself it's impossible. It is impossible. I could ever have helped anyone. I've forgotten how to spell too, and half the words. That doesn't matter. Apparently, good. He's a queer one. The one who comes to see me. He comes every Sunday. Apparently, other days he isn't free. He's always thirsty. It was he told me I'd begun all wrong, that I should have begun differently. He must be right. I began at the beginning. Imagine that. Here's my beginning. I took a lot of trouble with it. Here it is. It gave me a lot of trouble. It was the beginning. Do you understand? Whereas now, it's nearly the end. Is what I do now any better? I don't know. That's beside the point. Here is my beginning. It must mean something, or they wouldn't keep it. Here it is. This time. I know where I am going. It is no longer the ancient night, the recent night. Now it is a game I am going to play. I never knew how to play till now. I longed to, but I knew it was impossible. Yet I often tried. I turned on all the lights. I took a good look all round. I began to play with what I saw. People and things ask nothing better than to play. Certain animals too. All went well at first. 
They all came to me, pleased that someone should want to play with them. If I said, "Now I need a hunchback," immediately one came running, proud as punch of his fine hunch that was going to perform. It did not occur to him. That I might have to ask him to undress. <laughs> It was not long before I found myself alone in the dark. That is why I gave up trying to play, and took to myself forever, shapelessness and speechlessness. Incurious wandering, darkness, long stumbling with outstretched arms hiding. Such is the earnestness from which, for nearly a century now, I have never been able to depart. <laughs> That is a snippet of Samuel Beckett, the late great Samuel Beckett. Why is it? Do you think that half a century later, he seems so very, very contemporary? Yes. Here's a little more Samuel Beckett. He writes again. The last ebb. The dead shingle. The turning, then, the steps toward the lighted town. Hmm. One more short piece from Samuel Beckett. I would like my love to die, and the rain to be falling. On the graveyard and on me walking the streets, mourning the first and last to love me. Why not a little more, Samuel Beckett? If you can stand it, I can too. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Let's see. I guess. Yes, I guess not so much the long poems. Let us try. Let us try something fun. Let us try a little more prose from Malone Dies. Yes, I need, I need Beckett's brand of humor. Beckett writes from now on. It will be different. I must have thought about my timetable during the night. I think I shall be able to tell myself four stories, each one on a different theme.、Uh, one about a man, another about a woman, a third about a thing, and finally one about an animal—a bird, probably. I think that is everything. Perhaps I shall put the man and the woman in the same story. There is so little difference between a man and a woman. 
between mine, I mean. Perhaps I shall not have time to finish. On the other hand, perhaps I shall finish too soon. So, first of all, my stories. Then, last of all, if all goes well, my inventory all my life long. I have put off this reckoning, saying, too soon, too soon. Well, it is still too soon. All my life long I have dreamt of the moment when, edified at last, and so far as one can be before all is lost, I might draw the line and make the tote. This moment seems now at hand. I shall not lose my head on that account. And I shall begin. That they may plague me no more with the man and the woman, that will be the first story. There is not matter there for two. There will therefore be only three stories after all. That one, then the one about the animal, then the one about the thing. A stone, probably. Present state, three stories. Inventory there. An occasional interlude is to be feared, a full program. I shall not deviate from it any further than I must, so much for that. I feel I am making a great mistake, no matter. Present state, this room seems to be mine. I can find no other explanation to my being left in it all this time. Unless it be at the behest of the powers that be. That is hardly likely. Why should the powers have changed in their attitude towards me? A bright light is not necessary. A taper is all one needs to live in strangeness. If it faithfully burns, perhaps I came in for the room on the death of whoever was in it before me. I inquire no further in any case. It is not a room in a hospital. Or in a madhouse, I can feel that it is an ordinary room. I have little experience of rooms, but this one seems quite ordinary to me, the truth is. If I did not feel myself dying, I could well believe myself dead, expiating my my sins are <laughs> in one of heaven's mansions. But I feel at last that the sands are running out. Which would not be the case if I were in heaven. 
nor in hell. <laughs> Beyond the grave, ah, the sensation of being beyond the grave was stronger with me six months ago. Had it been foretold to me that one day I should feel myself living as I do today, I should have smiled. It would not have been noticed, but I would have known I was smiling. Not only am I left here now in this room, but I am looked after. This is how it is done now. The door half opens. A hand puts a dish on the little table left there for that purpose, takes away the dish of the previous day, and the door closes again. <laughs> it is soup. They must know I am toothless. When my chamber pot is full, I put it on the table beside the dish. Then I go twenty-four hours without a pot. Oh no! I have two pots. They have thought of everything. I am naked in the bed in the blankets, whose number I increase and diminish as the seasons go. I am never hot, never cold. I don't wash, but I don't get dirty. <laughs> oh, if I get dirty, somewhere, well, I rub the part with my finger wet with the spittle. What matters is to eat and excrete. Dish and pot, dish and pot, those are the poles. Now, in the beginning, it was different. The woman came right into the room, bustled about, inquired about my needs, my wants. I succeeded in the end in getting them into her head—that is, my needs and my wants. It was not easy. She did not understand until the day I found the terms, the accents that fitted her. All that must be half imagination. It was she who got me this long stick. It has a hook at one end. How great is my debt to sticks! So great that I almost forget the blows they have transferred to me. She is an old woman. I don't know why she's good to me. Yes. Let us call it goodness, without quibbling. I believe her to be even older than I, but rather less well preserved, in spite of her mobility. Perhaps she goes with the room, in a manner of speaking. All I see of her now is the gaunt hand and part of the sleeve.、Uh, not even that. Not even that. Perhaps she's dead, having predeceased me. Perhaps now it is another's hand that lays and clears my little table. I don't know how long I've been here. <sighs> I must have said as much.
I shall not give up yet. I have finished my soup, but it is time I took a little rest for safety's sake. Nice and tidy, it's a rule I... This is Jennifer Stone. I've indulged myself today with a little reading from Samuel Beckett's novels. Whenever I'm really depressed, that's what I need to cheer me up, is old Samuel Beckett. Nihilism forever. I'll be back on the air again Thursday morning at 8.20. Tell them go easy. If you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Light them up, boys. Hi, my name is Sidney George Jr. I'm 13, and I'd like to invite you to the world's premiere musical of City Green, a new stage bridge production based on Diane DeSalvo's delightful book for audience of all ages. Young Marcy and Old Man Hammer take up a challenge to turn a neighborhood lot into a community garden. Meet the award-winning children's Arthur after the show at Stage Red's 19th Annual Old Fashioned Social. There are only two performances on Mother's Day weekend, May 8th and 9th at 3.30 p.m. at the First Presbyterian Church, 2619 Broadway in Oakland. Admission is $5 for children and $15 for adults. This is a benefit for Stagebridge. Tickets available online at www.stagebridge.org or phone 510-444-4755. Take it from me, Sidney George Jr. I'm one of the stars in the show. See you there. It's KPFA and KPFB in Berkeley and KFCF in Fresno. Please stay tuned.